0: Grrrr! <tries> <tries> Grrrr!
1: The how to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast, where we learn how to survive horror movies and maybe how to survive life. I'm your host, Ryan Stacey, and today we are talking about the Shining miniseries from 1997. We're going to be talking about part one of three today. Maybe it's good to be scared sometimes, a little bit. And I'm joined by our Shining correspondent,
0: Jacob Colness. Jacob, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's the first day of October, and it is appropriate that we would be doing any sort of podcast business Today, given that it is, I know that I always say the start of Spooky Season is September 1st. Yes. But everyone usually is in agreement yeah. with Spooky Season being today. It's, it's October, it's Spooky Season. Yeah.
1: A big part of the miniseries takes place in October.
0: We have also a special guest
1: with <laughs> us today, if you hear any a non-verbal background guest. We have Casper the Friendly Pup yep. wandering around, Jacob's dog Casper, who's mm-hmm. uh, here with us today. Making noises probably in the
0: background. So if you do hear anything like that, yeah, it's, it's a, a spooky ghost he's, dog. He's he's not going to get on the mic, unfortunately, but he you will probably hear him yep. if he decides he wants to be noisy.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll do my best to edit out any big noises, but you might hear something occasionally. Right. So it's not a haunted podcast. It's just a friendly pup
0: mm-hmm.
1: who's currently licking my garbage can.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, he's so sweet. Thank you for bringing Casper today. Because, well, I had to. Because yep. he's... Adorable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we watched part one of the Shining miniseries, yep, which you've not seen before. Nope. Did what not. did you think, episode
0: one? Good. I didn't know what to expect, especially when you're comparing. And I, I want to get it out of the way too. It is really hard to not compare something like this to the film. Yeah. Um. In any regard, like when you have this like cultural landmark f- horror movie, no matter how it's adapted from its source material that if you have another adaptation of it, everyone's still only going to be thinking of. And I'm sure people, when they watch this on ABC in 97, were also, their heads were, they they probably had all seen the movie, but not yep. read the book. And so it is hard to not be thinking about uh, this, the Kubrick movie and like trying to be like, well, I like the way he did it better. I like the way he did it. And it's, if you're just judging the miniseries on its own, I mean, it's very clearly a really well-made especially for a TV movie in 97, yeah. like it's it has a big budget for its time feel. Sure. Like they definitely spent more money getting trying to get this done and get it right as best as possible as a TV show. And if they were going to include as much of the book as they were, that they would have to do it as a miniseries yep. as opposed to a, another film. So them having to do what is essentially as something as ambitious as a movie, but for television. I mean, they they do, like, it, it's filmed really well. There are some a little bit wonky, late 90s, early CG effects that kind of come off a little cartoonish now, sure. but they're minimal for this episode. And, you know, a lot of the scares are pretty much just Characters walk out of room and then a chair starts rocking. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it's, I, I gotta say, like the, the, the spook factor is definitely down considerably. But as a part one of a three part miniseries, just introducing the characters and introducing the storylines and like getting all of the background information on everybody and building up until we get to them moving in mm-hmm. and then at least spending a night. In the house. Yep.
1: Yeah. I think we end up, we're still in October by the end of the first episode. Yeah. This is a lot of setup.
0: It is a lot of setup. I typically, with anything that is fairly epic in length, like three hour plus, sometimes close to four hours if it's a movie or if it's a show, um, the setup is usually where I'm the most engaged Mm -hmm. because I'm like, you're not in the middle of the plot where you've already gain so much knowledge about who these people are and like what's been going on with them. And then also being like, now we're just trying to get to the end at this point or like trying to like, there's just so many different things that usually happen in the middle act that feel a little bit like there's no arc from the beginning. So I don't really know how part two is going to play, even though obviously I'm familiar with the story. But I think for just setting up characters in its first episode, it's kind of like any TV show, like any TV show that has like an at least an hour long pilot. Sure. it You know, it has a for, for as much as what goes on in here. And it is, you know, it's a fairly long setup, but I think it's pretty well paced for the most part, especially if you do know the beats of The Shining, then you kind of know what to expect that comes next. You know, I, I thought that the performances are good at the 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 casting is is pretty solid for the most part a couple of really good ones yeah there 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 are some really good choices here for a modern version of the shining like this is set in 1997 i'm yep, guessing yep. and so it's interesting to see this like characters wearing a little bit more modern i say modern even though it's it's 90s. O- it's almost like 25 years old at this point but modern for for the 90s yeah mm-hmm. setting and uh i think that sometimes contemporary setting things contemporary can kind of lose a little bit of the um the style i guess like if if anybody were going to remake the shining again would they do it in the 2010s when everybody has cell phones or would yeah. they would they have to go back and then do the shining in the 80s or 90s thats 70s that's a good question um because I feel like this story yeah. would really struggle in like a t- post 2000s post 2010s sure. post 2020s yeah world. yeah with Like connections we all have to the world. So, yeah, I think that'd be a little tough to do. Like, I guess, like, if they were warned that the cell phone reception would be out by staying at the hotel or that that, that eventually it would happen. Yeah, there's no service here Um, or something. And I do like the choice that, I mean, they did film it at the Stanley. Yep, this is all filmed at the Stanley Um, Hotel. Although the thing about the Stanley as opposed to the Kubrick Hotel is that the Stanley is, it looks like a very... Honestly, kind of like a cozy hotel. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it doesn't seem scary. Yeah. I, I, I find it hard to make that hotel, and we'll see in the next couple episodes here. But, like, the way that they try to introduce some spooky elements, visual stuff, it didn't really play all that well because I think that the the interiors just aren't made for that like it looks I know like a it, nice I know, hotel it looks like a nice hotel like I it's weird that this was the inspiration and maybe the location was more the inspiration sure. like the actual city like the um, where, where it was in the mountains yep is more the um, inspiration than the hotel on its own because if you pluck this hotel out and put it in the middle of the city, like there's nothing spooky. No, about nothing
1: it. at all. You know, every hotel's got history and yeah. stuff like that. That's what's scary. But like, you don't know
0: and, stuff. And Kubrick's hotel has so much space. Yeah, this is a much smaller. This hotel. looks like, I mean, their their hotel room almost feels like a little apartment. Yep, like a little cozy log cabin apartment. Exactly. Yeah, I think Wendy even says that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a much smaller space, but it's it's the real space, yeah. which is cool. I like the mini series just because it. It is kind of slow. It does take its time. It does build Mm -hmm. stuff up. And I think that's fun. We get more backstory for the Jack character in
0: this one. Jack is a little more three-dimensional instead of crazy. Well, you say that. I do think that subtextually, Jack Nicholson's character is very three-dimensional. Yes. I think there's a lot going on in there. That's just not as broadly stated as it is in the miniseries. And what the miniseries does as opposed to the movie is the movie talks about a lot of the past, but we don't, we aren't shown anything. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more ambiguity and there's a lot more characters trying to almost like, you know how, when you're kind of recalling a memory and it maybe isn't exactly how it happened, but like you get mostly right, but like you kind of, especially people with trauma start to rationalize that memory in a different way yep. and make it maybe a little less, you know, how Wendy in Kubrick's movie was basically being like this happened, but maybe it wasn't that bad. And yep. maybe, it, you know, maybe he, he trying to was just, yeah, just trying to downplay it. And in the, this miniseries, we, we see that at least we see a good portion of Jack's initial drunken abuse. Yep. We see how bad it was. And there's, I feel like it does take a little bit of the, mystery out of it sure and so it kind of softens the story and i know that that's like the stephen king that's his preferred version of it is the softened version even though obviously the book has a lot of extreme horror and like it's meant to be disturbing but like he he really wants you to feel sympathetic or even empathetic to jack Mm -hmm. and his family and i think that it's just less effective even though as a family drama maybe it's more effective sure
1: Uh, The the characters feel a little more shaded in on the surface.
0: Right. And that's why I think that these two so far can be just on their own separated without the comparisons and still kind of work on their own because they're kind of doing different things. Yep. With the same story structure. I think, honestly, for me, the miniseries and the film complement each other. Yeah. it's, It's fun to watch both. It's
1: like two versions of the same story with different things that are more important in one than the other. Mm-hmm. And I just think they complement each other. Well, like getting both is, is a more fulfilling experience than
0: one on, on its own, I think. Yeah. And I think people, you know, I guess that most people have seen and, and like the Kubrick movie, as opposed to having read the, the book yep. or watched the mini series, there's just, Percentage wise, that's just how it shakes out. Yep. And so people are always going to gravitate towards the the more Kubrick element, kind of like me. Like I'm always because I've had that movie in the back of my brain for, you know, almost twenty years now. Mm-hmm. And so something fresh like the miniseries isn't going to be as effective to me sure. on first watch.
1: I like them all. I th- I think the best way to do it is to read the book, watch the movie, and the right. miniseries, and Doctor Sleep. And
0: and you know the miniseries actually was pretty well, really well received when it debuted. Now I feel like it's been looked down upon yeah. over the last couple decades just by comparison. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little unfair.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's worth checking out. I think it's worth watching uh, mm-hmm. if you like the story.
0: And it's interested. it's also, it's a more autumnal version of The Shining. There's a lot more scenes outside in the yep. fall weather with like red golden trees and and you know leaves on the ground and blowing wind and yeah we don't get any snow it's all autumn yeah it's all autumn which that's fun good
1: setting great setting Mm -hmm. well the point of this podcast is we're trying to create a master list of rules to survive any and all horror movies and miniseries uh it turns out so we're gonna be going through the plot of the shining miniseries part one uh, b by b decision by decision though we might kind of yada yada through parts of it because some of it's exactly the same as the
0: movie so we'll mostly be highlighting the changes yeah especially but the part one aspect of it yeah. we can kind of breeze through a lot of yeah. this it's mostly just kind of going over what we are i don't know. think this will be a super long podcast
1: no but spoiler alert go watch the miniseries i like it i don't think enough people have seen it um just it's probably hard to find but probably i have it on dvd i had to yeah. buy it um but you it, know it's worth there, checking eBay out I think. Exists. ebay exists But spoiler alert, anything else before we jump into this? No, let's go into it. All right. Let's get into the plot of The Shining, part one. So we're introduced to Jack Torrance, once again, right off the bat, played by Steven Weber, who I think does a really good job, a really good job. It reminds me a lot of Christian Bale in his performance. Like Like the
0: American Psycho Christian Bale? Yeah, or or
1: just any American version of Christian Bale. Yeah,
0: he looks like Alan Tudyk. Yes. um, And uh, he also reads a lot of Stephen King audiobooks. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if this was before or after those times I don't I know exactly it was before. before yeah but he's got a you know his his voice is meant to be recorded you know his yeah. it's he's got a good timbre in his voice and a good like enunciation but it doesn't come off like he is overdoing it which can which a lot of like Stephen King dialogue actors <laughs> there's there's some times where it's like an actor just you just can't make that line work yep
1: but steven weber does a good job he i don't from the show happy town which is a one season kind of horror mystery tv show that took place in minnesota in canada but it took place in minnesota and i remember they made a big deal about it this murder mystery in small town minnesota so i Mm -hmm. watched it as a kid and steven weber was was on the main cast what was funny he um wasn't in the pilot i believe dean winters played that character in the pilot uh, who mayhem the may uh, from the All-State all state oh, okay. commercials or the vulture from brooklyn yeah, yeah yeah but i think dean winters got i think what the story goes he got frostbite filming the pilot of happy town and then left the show and steven weber took his spot
0: oh well um, good on
1: think, him like dean weber lost or uh, dean winters lost part of a finger i think shooting that that show
0: yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't replace anybody on that show if that was the case <laughs> yeah
1: but steven weber uh so that's what i mostly know him from uh, but i've seen him in other stuff too you, you've seen him in stuff He's basically already got the job at the hotel at this point. Like, mm-hmm. we kind of skipped the interview process for the most part. Um, but he's getting a tour of the boiler room, which we briefly saw in this Kubrick movie and is much more important in the book and the miniseries in Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. Because this boiler's a piece of shit. There's no safety valve. It rusted shut. So they have to, like, lower the pressure manually every night. Otherwise, the thing will blow up and destroy the hotel. Jesus Christ. Someone call OSHA.
0: <laughs> and uh, it's uh, Pat Hingle. Who is giving him the interview? Yep. Um. Or the the walkthrough.
1: Yep. Pat Hingle, who uh, yeah, plays Pete Wilson or Pete Watson. Sorry, he was um Commissioner, Commissioner Gordon in the Batman, uh, the Tim Burton Batman.
0: I feel bad. That's all I really can come up with with Pat Hingle. But I mean, there are there are more things. It's just that if I, you know, if 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 you're wondering who Pat Hingle was, and I'm saying like, oh, it's Commissioner Gordon, who you know, obviously him and Michael Go or Michael Gough played um the only two perf- like they were the only two performances in all four batman movies mm-hmm. so easy to remember who pat hengel is and those yep. even though he, as a commissioner gordon it's nothing like in those movies commissioner gordon is nothing like the commissioner gordon in literally yep. any other yeah, medium just kind of there yeah he's
1: also in the greatest comedy ever made which is talladega nights the ballad of ricky bobby he's got a small role in that movie okay so i also know him from, know him from that mm-hmm. but yeah, pat hengel's giving him the tour giving him backstory history on, on some of the shit that's gone down here at the the Overlook, including a woman who killed herself in a bathtub, and then the last year's uh, caretaker, a guy named Grady, who shot himself. But mm-hmm. he didn't have a family. He was here by himself. So that's a change. Um, so Cabin Fever got to him, isolation.
0: But yeah. Jack's got his family. It'll be fine. And once again, it's one of those things where sometimes when, in the Kubrick movie, when they do discuss like the past history discussing it without being shown flashbacks of it is way scarier yep. because it leaves your imagination going a little bit more wild. So sometimes when they flashback in this mini series, it feels like maybe they could have held off. Sure. But yeah, we're going to get a flashback of this woman slitting her wrist in the bathtub.
1: Yeah. So, then after that we're gonna meet uh Stuart Ullman, who's the manager of the Overlook. Small role in the first movie, uh small role here. Mm-hmm. But he's played by Elliot Gold. Yeah. Of Oceans Eleven or the Oceans trilogy mm-hmm. trilogy fame. He might have even been in the
0: fourth one, I can't
1: remember. I feel
0: yeah, like I think the- he had a cameo in the fourth one. I mean, he's most known for being in like Robert Altman movies mm-hmm. and but yeah, that's a big name actor for but it you know, it is like it's A B C it's this gigantic production. They're gonna try to like woo whoever they can. Yep.
1: Like it was just probably for a day for Elliot Gold day oh, work. yeah. And he is a dick in this. You know, he even refers, like, I'm sure the staff has all said I'm a bastard, and that's kinda true. I didn't want to hire you, Jack, because you're drunk. The board of directors hired you against my uh against my wishes,
0: and I am not happy about it. He's trying to just he's kinda justified though. Yeah, honestly, yes. He was he was trying to like vet a good employee and it got away from him
1: it yeah. went over his head because he knows uh the Jack's backstory that uh you know he's had trouble with alcohol, and then at his old job when he was a teacher, he beat up a student mm-hmm. um student slashed his tires when Jack cut him from the debate team, Jack beat him up, uh, so he got fired and uh yeah, yeah, he's a met like Jack is a literal menace, yep, yep, so he beat up a kid, he's a drunk. Before don't be a menace. So, Ullman doesn't want him here, and Jack's like, you know, beating up that kid, that's what got me to go to AA meetings, and I've been fine ever since. I, I, I can tolerate life.
0: But it, yeah, but it should be Elliot Gold's. like, he's justified in thinking that Jack's not the right person for the job. Yep. He's 100% correct. Especially if you're sticking somebody in isolation.
1: Yep, it, it is a bad call, but it's not Stuart Ullman's call. We cut to Danny and Wendy. Danny is played by Cortland Mead, a uh, young kid actor. Derek, you're going to love this, Dodge Derek Kubitschek. Uh, Cortland Mead is the voice of Gus in the Recess mm-hmm. TV show and movie. Uh, Derek and I are both big fans of Recess, so well, Gus yeah. Griswold.
0: He's 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 actually probably most known for being a child voice actor. Yep. He also was uh, on another ABC Saturday morning. Disney show called Lloyd in space okay which I've never seen which was it was it, it's just a little bit after recess's time but like okay. they played it the same they were there was overlap for a bit there it was more of the like, it, it was um they only really had it on ABC one Saturday morning and then Toon Disney mm-hmm. and they didn't really have a lot of crossover but I remember watching that a lot as a kid too what's interesting about his performance here is that part of you is like is this a bad child actor and then also is he like doing more than he has to and he has what i almost want to call shelly duvall face Mm -hmm. which is the irony is that shelly duvall is not obviously playing his mom this time out but she was wendy but he has like you know his anytime he's shocked or scared his upper lip curls up and all you get is just these gigantic front teeth (laughs) and his his it, it almost he's got like a face that you're like is it not perfect for camera, or is it perfect for camera? Yeah, depending it, on the role, it but, depends
1: on the role. I think he does a good job here. I think yeah. he's
0: realistic. Yeah, uh, I find him a very like you, real you worry that the dialogue that they give him is going to come off corny or like unrealistic for a child, but he still manages to kind of sell it as a more modern take on Danny. Yep, and uh, Danny Lloyd was more quiet, way less talkative. Yep, and that I think that's also maybe my um a little bit of. You know, comparison here where Danny, given his history, probably should be more quiet and more like to himself and maybe closer to Wendy. And this version of Danny is weirdly closer with Jack, yep, like we never really see him interact that much with Wendy up Just until the, the end or and toward the end too, where they're they're hanging out, and there still seems to be some distance between him and Wendy, yep. But like after having uh, abuse, some abuse being caused by Jack that you'd think that he would be more distant with Jack. But this kid is really close with. Yep. With his dad. Makes the story more tragic. I suppose. It's just it's I think it's just more of like a child psychology. Like what what would he what would this kid in this situation right. actually be like? And maybe the Tony character is which who we Big see, change. which we see and it I don't like it. That's probably
1: the biggest criticism people have of the miniseries. Yeah. Is we, we, Tony we, is played by an actual actor.
0: Yeah, a floating uh, green screen teenager, of an actor. Yeah, Floating teenager.
1: We'll get into that in a second. But okay. basically, it's the same backstory yeah, with yeah. them. Danny got hurt by Jack once. Wendy said she'll leave next time it happens. And Jack kind of implies that if it happens again, he'll kill himself. Mm. Uh, so basically the same backstory. Wendy, uh, we we get her at one point checking Jack's bottle of tea. You know, it comes in a plastic bottle type of tea for booze. Right. Yeah. Um, but no booze. But yeah, uh, Danny goes outside and then Tony visits him. And Tony is a floating teenager.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't work. It was, it's, like I, like I said, th- this miniseries feels the need to show too much. Yep. And the implications are way more interesting. Like, Tony, in your imagination of the Kubrick version... Like you don't know what he looks like, but you you at least you get the feeling that whatever it is is unsettling. Mm-hmm. Even if even if Tony's trying to protect Danny, just the idea of Tony is scary. Yeah, this is sillier. Yeah, this is like a imaginary friend.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tony floats around and basically warns him of the danger of going to the Overlook Hotel. So uh, I think
0: Danny already knows. Like if
1: they go, they're
0: entering a horror movie. And the one thing that bothers me about tony in this too because we see him but because we have dialogue with tony it makes me think more that tony this entire story is a gigantic asshole (laughs) because he is telling and obviously he can connect through the shine but if he can do that with the shine for for danny he should be warning other people through the shine to prevent this kid from going to this hotel like Dickel Hollerin or whoever because and I don't know if this is like ludicrous if, if like Stephen King can be like well actually this is how I wrote Tony and this is what I meant by this and this is what I meant by that but just from what I'm judging off of the mini series here he's telling the one character that has no choice yep <laughs> so it's like well that's good to know but like what else can he do what is he you gonna can do about you it? can you can warn him that it's going to happen regardless, and this is how you protect yourself. But saying, don't go to the Overlook Hotel, like, kid can't do anything about that. Like, he's, like, tell somebody else. Yeah, tell, tell an adult. Tell, tell a different shiner yep. to get to find a way to prevent this family from going to this hotel.
1: So Jack's gonna get home and, and Danny's gonna have a vision of a bloody croquet mallet. What you know, in the in the movie famously he uses an axe to chopped on a door, whereas in the book he used a croquet mallet or Which ro- an, ro- ro- an axe
0: mallet. is probably more effective. Yep. But yeah, croquet, but it's, it's the same with uh the min- misery, where in the book it was a like a mallet. Oh and in the in the movie it's a it's like a um like a saw or something. I don't know, I've never seen misery or You've never book. seen oh gosh. It's like the one that's probably my biggest blind spot i'm
1: but I'm gonna read the book before I watch the movie for that one
0: okay that could that could be an eventual um how to survive oh yeah that, I, actually seen... that whole movie is literally how to survive uh yeah, I know very little about misery I'm very excited, <laughs> oh yeah, no, misery is great, but I would
1: argue probably at this point, my biggest horror blind spot, the biggest horror movie I have not seen is misery,
0: uh-huh, yeah,
1: I've seen just about everything else,
0: but yeah you've seen like everything that misery has in other movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But just not misery. Like uh, yeah, you've I've seen, seen movies. the Family
1: Guy spoof. Episode. Well, I mean
0: you've seen movies where people are trapped in places in the middle of winter. Yep. You've seen things where people are held captive yep. by crazy people. And yeah, no. Yep. It's one hundred all of that there. But uh, yeah, I, there. I have no
1: idea how that one ends. I have, I have no clue how misery oh, okay. ends. So which is kind of cool. I, I know very little about the movie, which is mm-hmm. I love. Get to it one day. Yeah. Like, I got. I'm reading through all of Stephen King's books, so I'll get top to it. I'm reading uh, the Dead Zone right now okay which i'm very very much enjoying that's a movie too yes christopher walken Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm gonna watch that movie very very soon i can't wait uh jack also has a friend named al who jack gives a call to him to thank him for helping him get the job but yeah that's from the book too it's his old drinking buddy they both got sober and al helped him get the job at the hotel so they're gonna head up to the overlook their car is established to be a hunk of junk but they are gonna eventually
0: get up there even though tony warns them again not to go Seriously, warn somebody else. Warn Jack if 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 he has any sort of psychic connection. At the Overlook, there's no maze this time, and so we have just hedge animals, which that's what the book is as well. No also, kind of, I I, I I get it because it's the book. They're adapting the book. Yep. But it does suck to lose the maze. It does suck to it lose. Really the maze. sucks. The, to maze lose the maze is
1: my personal favorite part. That's, of the movie. That's
0: like such a genius addition. Yep. Such a genius addition. But if we're going a different direction, I understand.
1: Yeah. We're going to be introduced to Dick Halloran again, who's played by Melvin Van Peebles. I'm not, you know, I've heard of Melvin Van Peebles. I'm I'm not super familiar with him, but I know his son, Mario Van Peebles, who is in Jaws the Revenge.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think Melvin Van Peebles is a, was a black, was he a black exploitation actor from the 70s? Am Um, I getting that right? Yes. Yes. Yep. I'm uh, a,
1: sweet, sweetbacks, yep, badass. Yep. Song. That's,
0: yep. hmm But one of the best
1: regarded examples of the black exploitation genre. Yes. Yep. Not super familiar with him. I like him a lot in this.
0: Yeah, he's good. What's interesting about the way that like something like Scatman Crothers plays Dick, I mean, they, they, they're mostly similar performances. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, but I feel like there's more of like a haunted element to Scatman Crothers with mm-hmm. his his face is a little bit more gaunt. Yep. And uh, Melvin Van Peebles is a little bit more sweet. Yep. I feel like Scatman Crothers, if he was just sitting down with you, he would just tell you stories. And Melvin Van Peebles, if he was sitting down with you, he would just tell you gossip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's like, that's kind of the different, two different shades of the same character, the way that they play. And obviously with Dr. Sleep, Carl Lumley is doing more Scatman Crothers than kind of doing his own take on it. Yeah. But it's still really good casting. Yep. It's a good character. I it mean, is a it's, great if, character. Yeah. Any adaptation that can use Dick O'Halloran. I know that there were talks of doing like some project, like a spinoff or like a show or anything that had that character in it.
1: Well, they could have done, they can do it uh, if with this Pennywise show that they're doing. Right. Uh, because Dick Halloran has a brief appearance in the book. Yeah. So if they wanted to do uh, the History of Dairy kind of show mm-hmm. with Pennywise, they could do an episode with dick halloran yeah because yeah well there's a there's a whole little brief part of dairy history where dick halloran is involved mm-hmm. with one tragedy that happened there anyway so dick uh you know he has the telepathic communication the shine just like uh danny does we have the basically the same scene except it's outside instead with uh them talking to each other about the shine but basically he want he's like danny you have more shine than anyone i've ever met try like shouting at me uh, sh- like mentally shouting at me i want you to shout as hard as you can mentally at me and Danny's actually going to hold back, but he is going to knock Dick backwards and shatter Dick's uh, taillight on his car. And he didn't even go full strength. And Dick's like, yeah, you could probably kill me if you win full strength at this, <laughs> this range. But he's like, he, he's telling Danny, like, occasionally I've seen bad things here. I don't think it's a great idea for you to be here all winter. Kid with the shine as strong as yours. But you say your dad needs this job. Okay. So I can't get you out of this situation, but here's some tricks and tips to right. survive he's
0: doing way more help than tony yeah
1: basically just close your eyes turn your back on whatever you see count to 10 it'll go away if mm-hmm. the picture in a book don't go into a certain room and danny guessed the room number yeah dick's like uh maybe maybe not don't go in there which in this version is
0: 217
1: which is the real number i believe from the, the book from the book and that was the room number stephen king stayed in yeah so they changed it to the real number And basically, if you need help, if things get really bad, just shout as loud as you can. And hopefully Dick will hear you all the way in Miami or Florida or wherever he is. So a lot of the same stuff, but he's a little more direct in his advice this time. Because he knows, like, you're walking into a horror movie, kid. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Once again, there's no booze in the hotel. Pete's going to end up leaving here. Pete and Dick were giving them a tour of the hotel. and It's kind of the same stuff. That we saw in The Shining. Um, But Dick's going to show off the presidential suite. And Danny's going to have two visions. He's going to see a ghost. And then he's going to see or hear a murder happen in the presidential suite. And he's going to get like an echo of that murder.
0: Yeah. The image of the ghost appearing on the poster board Mm -hmm. is probably the most effective scare in the first episode. It doesn't come off that cartoonish. It almost kind of comes off old school. Yep. Old school scare.
1: But another thing Danny sees is when one of the first to- visions Tony showed him was a fire hose coming to life and snap at him that's, trying to bite that's, him.
0: That's that's where some of the a little
1: silly, corny, silly looking,
0: corny, s- silly looking it, it stuff. It looks a little bit 1997. Yeah, they're trying to scare people that are watching this on cable. Yep, <laughs> in, in 1997. 90s. Yeah,
1: but Danny walks past that fire hose. He's very nervous about it. But eventually, Dick is going to leave and head for Florida. So we we just got the Torrances alone here. Mm-hmm. We skip to a couple days later, Jack's reshingling the roof. That was one of the extra jobs that uh, he was hired to do. And he comes across
0: a wasp nest in the roof, He sticks his hand in, gets stung, and almost falls off the roof. I like felt that in my nerve because I don't know. I don't know how it is for everybody else listening, but like the wasps in northern Minnesota have been really terrible, especially like in September, because they're all trying to get the last bit of whatever they need yep. before the winter. Uh, and so they've been particularly vicious this year, and I have gotten stung. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I hadn't been stung in a really long time. So just having that uh, core memory come back while there's just all of these wasps surrounding their little wasp nest inside the roof of the house. And then obviously we see more of them later yep. on. Of course, this is just like a, what is it? Like, um, what's the term when someone leaves something behind and then, and then it comes back later on in another act? Um, uh, like a Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's so, gun. Yeah. It's the Chekhov's gun of wasps. Yep.
1: Uh, I stepped on hornets nest when I was a kid, and so I have. I don't like yellow and black insects. When he puts his hand on the nest, I'm like, nope. I I hate this. I I don't like bees and wasps and hornets mm-hmm. and stuff like that.
0: I hope all of the wasp effects were just effects and that the characters did not actually have to deal with <laughs> yeah wasps. Fuck that.
1: Um, but he almost falls off the roof. Uh, rule three. Do your damn job. Don't die in the process. Mm-hmm. Maybe Stuart Ullman don't be so cheap and have just one guy reaching the roof. Maybe have like an actual company Team. doing. They could deal with the wasps. Yeah. And, you know, they have like safety protocols and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think OSHA would like this very much, Mr. Ullman. But Jack, he's going to go get a bug bomb and seemingly kill the wasps and take out the hornet's nest or the mm-hmm. wasps nest. Danny and Winnie, they're going to get back from town. And Danny wants to keep the wasps nest because it's it's obviously empty and dead now. Not in a horror movie or not in a horror miniseries, they're not. Yeah. That's and not how it works. Jack's like, yeah, yeah, keep it. And Wendy's like, uh, are you sure? And Jack's like, no, it's fine. They're all definitely dead. Mm-hmm. Look, man, don't bring Bugs Nests into your house, okay?
0: They I, might want to get back in.
1: Like, I, I'm not necessarily saying this is a horror movie, but Rule 32, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I don't bring this in the, yeah, the hotel. Are you kidding me?
0: Throw that shit away. Yeah destroy it i don't know if shit like that molds or anything too over time but like it may look cool when it's hollowed out but just throw it away it's garbage
1: yeah and there's still bug bodies in there right if it breaks you get dead corpses of bugs all over the place that's no fun Mm -hmm. like even if they're not still alive somehow no absolutely not i hate this so we have jack he's working on his play uh wendy and danny they are working on reading danny's learning to read And he's going to go to uh, Danny's going to go to the bathroom to brush his teeth. And Tony visits him. And he's like, lock the door. I got to tell you something important. And, you know, he's locked in the bathroom. And so Wendy Mm -hmm. and Jack, they go to check on him. They can't get in. He's having another one of his visions. They have to break the door down to get at him. And he's like foaming at the mouth, basically. When they do wake Danny up, he's talking about Tony, his imaginary friend who he has talked about before. And Jack doesn't believe in Tony. He's very dismissive and he ends up shaking Danny. And Danny hits his head on the toilet seat or not the the back of the toilet.
0: Oh, Jack, chill out. At that point, this is where you start to question her willingness to stay to to stay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she does say, like, don't touch him like you're done touching him for the night or whatever. Like you're stay away from him or whatever. But like, you know, by the next scene, it's not like it. It doesn't feel like there really is a They, gloss that much. Over they it. kind of gloss over it. Yeah. They bring
1: it up like once. Jack's say he did an accident because he was scared of the situation. It's not good, Jack. Yeah.
0: I would, if I were Wendy, I would then be checking all of the bottles one more time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, time for a check, safety check. But yeah, they don't want to, uh, Jack especially does not want to hear about Tony. It's like, dude, you got to like listen you gotta have open ears. Yeah,
0: you can. You gotta listen because at least if 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 it's not real, you can at least contextualize it yep. and try to find the source. Yep. With a child's um, kind of more unbelievable accusations, like there's got to be a reason. Yep. There's got to be something behind it, even if it doesn't make sense right away. Mm-hmm. But later, Danny's
1: gonna say Tony told him to lock the door. He doesn't remember what else, except like look out for croquet mallets. They're dangerous. Uh-huh. D- d- come on, Tony. That's not really that helpful.
0: That's really exactly. not that helpful. Tony's not helping. He's not. He sh- he should be shining somewhere else.
1: So during the nights, uh, we have like lights turning on and off the hotel. The fire's lighting. The jukebox turns on. But the Torrance family doesn't hear any of this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're in a horny movie. They don't know it.
0: It's a big hotel. It's a big you know? hotel.
1: When he talks about like, hey, if Danny's got another vision, I'm going to take him to the doctor. And Jack's actually like, no, actually, if that happens again, I want you and Danny to leave the hotel. Go stay with your mother until the winter's over. Uh, just get out of the situation okay but wendy hates her mother <laughs> during the night wasps attack danny because they're still alive in this hornet's nest or wasp's nest yeah he is surrounded There's by a... yeah the oh, hi casper casper's saying hi uh um, <laughs> he's saying hurry it up <laughs> yeah i want to leave uh <laughs> but yeah the wasp attack uh they get danny out of the room everyone's kind of mad at jack i thought you said it was safe jack more guilt trip but yeah i mean, yes. You assumed you were safe. Rule 33, never assume you're safe, especially when wasps are involved. Those things are like flying demons. So Jack is going to put a glass box over it to contain them all, kill more. They all get stung.
0: Yeah, there's there's literally like hundreds of them. Yep. Fuck this. It's like at that point, just lock the door of that room and don't let any out and just wait for them all to die on their own and and they're not going to do that
1: jack is going to put a glass box over it and like put a use like a book or a tape table or some sort and he's going to manage mm-hmm. to get them all outside he's going to leave them outside let them freeze to death and they they end up talking they're like yeah we're going to set up an appointment we're going to take danny to the doctor at this point
0: well yeah i mean with all those bites like you the the doctor is in like get that done right away yeah as soon as you can but Jack gets rid of the nest and leaves it outside. But
1: as he's walking back up to the room, in the dining room, all the tables and or all the chairs are, like, upside down on tables, like, put away. And all of them get knocked off the the tables at the same time. And this time, the torrents is due. Here, Danny's asleep, but Wendy and Jack hear it. And Wendy is obviously concerned. Jack's like, ah, it was nothing. I probably knocked someone over in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of just Jack in general. He's just, like, dismissive of everybody. And that's probably right. his big problem. But that's how uh, episode one ends, is, uh, you know, on just that spooky, all the chairs being knocked over note. And that's part one. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Not a whole lot happens in this first one. it's a lot of setup. But yeah, I don't have any awards because we barely did any horror movie, <laughs> anything in this.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's not a lot of being people being chased nope. or, like, seeing stuff, except for Danny. But, like, yeah, no, it's just getting introduced to the characters and then kind of judging them by off, off of their own morals yep. and off of their own history. Just getting
1: to know them. So no new rules. The awards, they're going to be a little interesting here because we don't have much to work with. First, we have the Randy Meeks. Merit bachelor was host of the character who did the best job at following the rules based off Randy Meeks from Scream.
0: There are certain
1: rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. I, I really think it, the only real option is Danny.
0: Or Elliot Gould's character, <laughs> who who basically was like, I don't want this guy running that hotel. And he could have solved this entire issue like that his the whole family could have avoided being at the hotel in the first place if he had gotten his (laughs) way and yeah take charge so
1: um not in a horror movie situation at all though
0: right but he he would have prevented a horror movie from happening
1: um yeah just because danny you know he spent most of the time um you know getting more info from tony and dick Depending on how you split like, info, was but like you know, he can't get out of the situation, but well, at least he's getting stuff to like prepare himself for. I do for think
0: it. that maybe Dick also would qualify because he at least is like, okay, well, if I can't do anything, I'm gonna do as much as I can.
1: Yep, and just set up like a calling card for later because I, I just don't think that Danny can really do much.
0: Yep. Except,
1: right you know, he can't escape the movie, but I, I just think, I do like that he was gathering info and preparing himself to learn things. As much as a child can take. As much as a child can take. So, yeah, you know, we might have a lower limit, but I really do think Danny is the best of this episode. Okay. But Night of the Living Club, a little more interesting, because, again, we don't have much to work with. That goes to the character to the worst job at following the rules. Of course, based on Barbara from Night of the Living Dead.
0: They're coming to get you, Barbara.
1: Stop it! You're ignorant!
0: They're coming for you, Barbara. Jack. Jack, I think. He's just... He, he's he's he got a bad history. Don't be a menace. Don't be a menace. Yep. Don't be a menace. Of course, what happens to menaces is that they kind of... Karma comes around. They kind of get... Yep. Get, get what they deserve. And, you know, there's just like little things throughout the first episode where it's like he's making excuses for stuff that he probably shouldn't and... He's being dismissive. being dismissive. So, yeah. I think he's kind of the obvious... Yeah, um, here. you know, he shouldn't have taken this job. I know they need it, but like, hey, uh, just go get like a gas a you, gig for a bit. You can't blame any of his choices on possession. Nope. Because you can do that in the Kubrick movie because yep. we start with the hotel pretty quick. Yep. And it's very clear that Jack is demented before, before he yep. gets there. Whereas this one, it seems like it's going to take a bit. Yep. Slow burn yeah uh yeah he might actually be writing something real
1: yeah Mm -hmm. he might yeah actual work being done on this play Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's jack and it's kind of interesting because we actually get to give jack an award because we couldn't last time yeah but this is danny's second time winning the ready meek spirit batch good for danny we'll see if he can do uh do it again
0: well if he's anything like danny in the kubrick movie by the end he probably could very good chance that he will we will see i'm excited to find out but that's the shining part one Mm -hmm. so the shining part two
1: miniseries is going to go on the wheel now we're not doing a wheel spin today, though because i think we're finally going to do the child's play remake on tuesday we're recording this on a sunday and i think uh right now we have a child's play remake scheduled for tuesday so i think we're finally going to be able to do that
0: okay so there you go there you go audience get hyped close that book yep finally <laughs> and then start that show <laughs> uh no
1: no, no. we no. won't do the show <laughs> okay. until the show is over so okay. we'll take a, a break but yeah we'll finally China, child's play is actually the last of the original eight series i had on the wheel when this started mm. so child's play the only one we got left to finish so that'll be exciting
0: okay jacob yes thanks for being on yes no problem
1: uh do you want to give on any social media yeah.
0: yeah twitter letterboxed uh blue sky at jacob colness okay you can follow us
1: on twitter at how to yeah just- i said twitter yeah yeah, yeah we we dead name until twitter. until
0: they make me pay for it
1: yep i will dead name twitter for the rest of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> check us out on at how to horror and check us out on letterboxd as well this is a mini series so i won't be putting it in uh our list and stuff like that you
0: can though Letterbox has a mini series yes i'm not gonna do it okay whatever uh, uh, it's yeah. it's a, it's its own contained story yeah like i i I wouldn't i guess if you're comparing it to other movies maybe that's a little bit more complicated yeah i i think that's a
1: separate list Mm -hmm. uh if we do get a rule off of the miniseries though i will put it on that list list of movies that have given us uh rules like i did that for the miniseries Mm -hmm. and uh for the scream tv show i you know the tv shows aren't in there but i wrote in a note for scream like the movie i wrote in a note like and this one from the scream tv show Mm -hmm. so we'll see all right. Uh, anything else? That'll be it. All right. This has been the How to Survive a Horror Movie podcast. Stay safe out there. <laughs> <laughs>